If you will, uh, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Yes, is, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 5. Going to be reading verse 18 through 33. And if you could please stand for the reading of the Word of God. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are his members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Holy and righteous Father. Father, I pray that you should come now. You should manifest your glory in this place. And many marriages, Father, would be conformed to the image of Christ and the church that those who are wanting to be married that you would begin forming them into the husband or the wife 
that they are to be. That this message would even be something that would stick with the children and begin preparing them for the spouse that they ought to be. Not for our sakes, for this is not about us. It's about your glory. It's about imitating Christ and the church. And I pray that that's what would happen today. I ask for your help. I ask for a spirit of meekness and gentleness and humility as we deal with these hard truths which go counter to not only the outside culture but even in the church. But give us ears to hear and as James says with meekness let us receive the implanted word and might we be doers of the word and not hearers only. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you are aware of my last sermon, I did it over marriage motivation for the local church. And after I did that message, uh, our pastor came up to me and asked me to do a follow-up message going more into the instruction. And the reason he gave really made an impact on me. You know, I believe that a lot of Christian marriages don't seek to model, don't look like what we see in Scripture, not necessarily because of rebellion. See, we have all grown up in this culture that hates God's ordinance of marriage. We grow up as kids, we turn the TV just to watch, you know, kid TV shows. And we see a father and a mother, and they look nothing like what God has ordained. And they teach us, they indoctrinate us from very young age what marriage is supposed to look like. And so we grow up, we meet someone, we fall in love, we get married, and Unintentionally, we take this ideology into our marriages. We're not necessarily, you know, looking at the Word of God and rebelling against it. This is just what we've seen. We've seen it on TV. We've seen it with our friends' parents. We, we've even seen it with our own parents. And we bring this ideology into marriage. So, Lord willing, what I would like to do today, if He would help me, is just really look at what scripture really says, what God really requires. And I would encourage each one of you to turn in your own Bibles or your apps, you know, and just really look at it for yourself. Scripture says, do not despise those who speak forth the word of God, but test all things and hold fast to what is good. So I want your eyes on the scripture so that we can see what the Lord is saying. You know, I don't want you to believe me because I say something, but because you see it in Scripture. But with that being said, 
let's begin. Now I begin the reading in verse 18, and Lord willing, toward the end, I'll explain why I started there, but verse 22, and it reads, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, first of all, the verb here, submit, it actually isn't in the original language. It's kind of, it's pulled up from verse 24 because it would make no sense in English. The Greek actually just says, wives, to your own husbands as to the Lord. So what Paul is doing here, what the Holy Spirit has inspired Paul to do here, is rather than giving the imperative, you know, submit, the first thing he wants to do is to focus on the the relationship that the husband is her wife. It's her husband, her, you notice the word own. See, when you have um, male and female in the church and Christians, there's only one husband to that woman. Everyone else is brothers and should be treated as brothers. Now, granted, I believe many problems uh, that occur in our marriages are because we don't love each other as brother and sister in Christ. But here Paul is telling us, though we are to love everyone, our brothers in Christ, that there is one that we are to conduct ourselves, sisters, you have to conduct yourselves in a manner above just a brother in Christ. And it's your own husband. And how are you to conduct yourself? It says, as to the Lord. Now, Paul has two choices here. We'll see the other choice for the word as in a minute. But this word as simply means a similarity. A similarity to something. So, as wives. You are to conduct yourself to your own husband similar to how you conduct yourself concerning the Lord. And we say, okay, how is it similar? Then we get to verse 23. It says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Stop right there. So, this word head, what does it mean? Well, it literally is head. It refers to the body part. But when it's used figuratively, this word head in scripture, it means a master or a ruler or a lord. So here, as wives, sisters, as you consider the lordship, the master, the ruler, Christ, that is to set the example of how you should conduct yourself concerning your husband. But it says the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. So this tells us something. That the husband has not been made or put in the position as a master a ruler, a lord 
which Lord willing next time we'll see that even more explicitly that word Lord in first Peter uh, 3 6 uh, Sarah actually calls her husband Lord as an example for you ladies but it says he's the savior of the body this puts kind of boundaries on how the husband is to exercise his headship he's to exercise his headship in light of his wife's salvation for the purpose of his wife's salvation you know brothers my fellow husbands yes we have been put in a position of authority in our marriages we have been made the head we have been made the master the ruler the lord of our wives yes that is true but this is not so we can throw around our weight and say okay you serve me you obey me i'm going to sit back and watch tv no we are to model christ how did he use his headship how did he use his lordship you remember in john 13 you know it begins saying jesus you know he knew he came from god he was going back to god you know but it says he arose from the table took a towel he girded himself poured water into a basin washed the disciples feet and at the end of that end of that he says i'm your teacher i'm your lord yes but if your teacher and lord washes your feet so you should do also so jesus christ the ultimate master ultimate ruler ultimate lord used his lordship to serve and brothers that is why we have been put in our position of authority over our wives not to boss them around and say you know well you go serve the house take care of the kids i'm going to sit back and watch tv i'm going to go play my video games i'm going to go hang out with the boys it's not for that and so that we can serve our wives specifically for their salvation their sanctification which we'll see more explicitly in a minute so verse 24 says therefore just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Okay, so here we see that, again, another comparison. Okay, the church to Christ, the wife to the husband. So as the church is subject, or some may uh, say submissive, what does this word mean? The Greek word is actually uh, a word, it's hupotasso. Hupo means under, tasso means to arrange. This word literally means to, it's a military term. It means to arrange yourself under one in regards to obedience. So it's saying as the church, as we arrange ourselves under Christ for obedience to Christ, it says, so let the wives be to their own husbands. Now that we see that word again, own, 
this tells us that there is only one individual that she is called to um, arrange herself under, her own husband. You know, after the last message, you know, someone came up to me because I, I kind of made a comment in passing about how not every man is the head of every woman, but it's the husband to the wife. And I said, they wished I would have opened that up a little bit. So I take this um, opportunity to do that, that yes, we're to love, you know, women, sisters, you are to love your brothers. Okay? And we saw even earlier, uh, back in verse 21, it says, submitting to one another in the fear of God, in the fear of Christ. Yes, there is that reality. Okay, but why we are to um, conduct ourselves in this way as one who is filled with the Spirit, as we will see, concerning all of your brothers, ladies, you have a responsibility to this scripture with your own husbands. And it says, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Now, of course, we know everything means everything. But in the Greek, there's, again, Paul had choices here. He, he could have used the word everything that's just kind of general, but that's not what he did. Okay, The word the Holy Spirit inspired him to use is a word that doesn't refer to everything as in, let's take a force. It's not saying, you know, everything as the whole force. This word everything is a word that looks not at the big picture, but at every individual piece that makes up the picture. In other words, it's not just looking at the picture of the force. It's looking at every leaf, every plant, every blade of grass, every piece of dirt, all that is in that force that makes up the force. And that's the word that is used here. You know, and I, I know it's... Um, Sometimes we're quick to say, well, what if he tells me to disobey the word of God? You know, well, I, I think all of us know what to do if that's the case. But many times when we read scripture, we see something in scripture, and we have some kind of rebuttal, some excuse, you know, some question, many times, that comes from a heart that is not willing to fully submit. David says in the Psalms that God has opened his ears and he delights to do his will for his law is within his heart. Many times we don't respond like that. We come to scripture. I know I speak of myself. We come to something in scripture and rather then looking at the scripture and saying, okay, God, this is what you want. I delight to do your will. Teach me to do it. We come up with a rebuttal. You know, any of you who have been questioned, oh, sorry, many of you have been parents for a while, you, you, you kind of can tell when your kids, 
when they're questioning you because they really want to know or they're questioning you because they, they don't want to obey. They have a heart of rebellion. And many times we do the same exact thing. So I'd encourage you, you know, they're speaking to the wise, but to all of us, when we come to scripture and we see something like this, like submit to your husband, arrange yourself under him for obedience in everything. The first thing to do is not to have a rebuttal, not to talk back. You know, that's what James is talking about when he talks about being slow to speak, quick to hear, slow to anger. He isn't just talking in general. Now that principle can be applied generally, but he's talking about receiving the word of God. And we should come to the word. We should see what it says. And our first response should be to fall on our face. Say, God, how can I obey that? Teach me how to obey that. Fill me with your spirit that I may obey that. But now verse 25. Now we come to the husbands. He says, husbands, love your wives. And notice, just as Christ also loved the church. So I told you earlier, he had two options with this word as. One is host, which means, you know, a similarity, which we saw earlier. One is katos. And this word means exactly. Let me give you an example. I can say, you know, I bite into a burnt piece of bread and say, it's as hard as a rock. Or I can, you know, do something and tell my kids, do as I do. There's a difference. See, the English puts the word just there, you know, so we can understand, you know, the difference between the two. So Paul, well, he's told the wives in the church that when you consider the lordship, when you consider the authority of Jesus Christ, you look at that and you should conduct yourself in a similar manner to your husband's. Now he looks at the husbands, if you will, and says, do you see how Christ loved the church? I don't want you to do it in a similar manner. Do it exactly like that. So how do we love our wives as Christ loved the church? It says, and he gave himself for her. This word gave means to hand over. Okay, Christ handed over his rights. He handed over his life. He handed himself over for the church. You know, in John chapter 10, he tells us, This is the reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. He wasn't forced to lay down his life. He said, no one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own. He willingly laid down his life. And in the same way, husbands, brothers, yes, going back, we have been made the head, the Lord, the master, the ruler of our wives. But as that authority figure, 
We are to hand ourselves over to them. We are to lay aside our rights. There's many things you can do as a single man. That when you get married, it may not be sinful. But we should be willing and we should lay them aside. Hand ourselves over to our wives. Because we're seeking to follow the example that Christ lays down for us. So he gave himself for her. And this is the reason. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. All of these verbs here, sanctify, cleanse, wash, they're in the errorist tense, which is something that happened with continuing effects. It continues to happen through history. So not only has Christ given his life that he might sanctify or set us apart, that he might cleanse us or forgive our sins, washing us in the water of the word at one time, but he continues to do this constantly. You know, you remember... In the upper room, he tells his disciples, when Peter is like, you're not washing my feet. He goes to Peter and he says to him, look, he who is bathed or is already clean, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. We continually need to have our feet washed in the water of the word as we go through our life. And Jesus Christ, in his ministry, he continues to do that. So, this is the reason that he might sanctify. The word means to be set apart, to be made holy, to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. It's happened at one time and it continues to happen. Cleanse. Cleansing us from our sin. You know, in Ezekiel, Chapter 36, 25 through 27. Now God says, I will sprinkle clean water on them. They will be clean. I will cleanse them from the filthiness and the idols. And this is what Jesus Christ continues to do. Cleansing us and how? By washing us in the water by the word. So as husbands... Why have we been made the authority of our wives? The master, the ruler, the Lord. Why? It is that we might seek the sanctification. Making them holy. Conforming them to the image of Christ. That we might cleanse them. Sometimes it may mean a gentle rebuke. A loving rebuke. But to cleanse them. From their sin. As all of us. As Jesus said. We need to have our feet washed. And how do we do this? How do we sanctify them? How do we pursue their cleansing? And it's by washing them in the water. By the word. Now this word here. That is used for word. Isn't logos. Which is. 
like a word uh, idea that is expressed basically. It isn't grafe, the written word, but this word is rhema, spoken, the spoken word of God. So brothers, how often, and I ask myself this as well, how often are you speaking the word of God to your wives? I mean, when they, they're dealing with something, do you just go and, oh, it'll be all right? Or do you say, come on, it's not that bad? How often do we speak the word of God to our wives? How often do we sit down with our wives and open up our Bibles, read the scriptures to them, Speak the scriptures to them. Encourage them. This is our duty as we follow Christ. And verse 27 says that he might present her to himself a glorious church. It says not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So Jesus Christ has set the model for us husbands. He has set the model in laying down his life, giving himself for the church to sanctify her, to cleanse her, washing her in the water of the word. And there's an end to it. That he might present her to himself. So throughout our lives as Christians, the Christ in his ministry, he continues to sanctify us. He continues to clean, uh, cleanse us as we are in the word. He prays, John seventeen seventeen, sanctify them by the truth and your word is truth. And this is the ministry of Jesus Christ. He continues to do for there is a day that he is going to pre- present the church to himself as holy without blemish and husbands there is a day when in a real sense we will have to take our wives and present them to Jesus Christ with that being said keep your finger there but turn back to Matthew chapter 25 we all know this parable Matthew chapter 25 verses 14 through 30. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called to his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on the journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to them, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. 
He also who have received two talents came and said, Lord, you deliver to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping what you have not sown and gathering what you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I had not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So while you have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast that unprofitable unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, of course, it's not a perfect parallel, but have you ever, brothers, have you ever considered that passage in regards to marriage? The Master, the Lord, Jesus Christ, He has given you a wife. Now, when we are given wives, some bear more fruit than others. Some are more mature in their faith, some less. But husbands, what do we do with our wives? Are we like the one who had the five or the two talents? And we're diligent? And we're seeking to sanctify and cleanse our wives, washing them in the water of the word? So when our master returns, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, we can say, remember the wife you gave me? Now look at her. Look at what I've done by your grace. And will we hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Or, on the other hand, are we like the one who takes what is his master's? And hides it in the ground. And the Gospel of Luke, it says he put that money in a handkerchief. So we didn't see it as very valuable. Is that what we do, husbands? Do we, we take our wives? And they're not a, really of any value to us. And we kind of hide them in the ground. We know we're supposed to be diligent. We know we're supposed to be speaking the word of God, getting into the word of God with them, seeking their sanctification, seeking their cleansing. But we kind of hide them in the ground so we can go and live in our own ways. Is that what we do? He called him a wicked and lazy servant. And I know, brothers, by the grace of God, none of us want to be in any way identified with that servant. So I encourage you, brothers, let's seek in light of our Lord's return, in light of the fact that we are going to present our wives 
before him. Let's be diligent to get into the word of God with our wives, to use our authority for their salvation's sake. And then we can hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Okay, back to Ephesians. So verse 28. So the first responsibility of husbands is of course the spiritual well-being of the wives. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 28 says, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Then this, He who loves his wife loves himself. Now like I said, with the wives, you have one who is your own husband and you are to conduct yourself to that to your own husband not as you would all of your other brothers in Christ but to your own husband as to the Lord here we see it uses the word own with the husbands but notice it doesn't say just their own wives it says, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. And to explain that a little more, he who loves his wife loves himself. See, husbands, we are to love our sisters in Christ. Every one of our sisters in Christ. We are to love them as we love ourselves. But when it comes to our wife, Yes, should we love them as we love ourselves? Yes, of course. But this scripture says something more. We aren't loving them as we love ourselves. We are loving them because they are us. He who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 29 says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. Now, these words nourish and cherish, the word nourish literally means to feed. The word cherish literally means to warm. This is physical provision. We know what Jesus Christ says to his disciples. He said, do not worry about what you are to eat, what you are to drink, what you are to wear. It's not life, more than food, the body more than clothing. Look, the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, yet your Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they? Oh, you of little faith? It says, and why do you wear, worry about what you are to wear? Look, the lilies of the field. They don't, um, they don't toil, they don't spin. But I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory, he wasn't arrayed. He wasn't dressed as one of these. And if God so clothes the grass that today is, tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? Says so don't worry about what you to eat, drink, or wear. The heathen, they seek those things. Your father knows what you need. Says, but seek first the kingdom of God 
his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, Jesus Christ, as his church, seeks to do his will. He cares for them, not just spiritually, but physically. He nourishes, he cherishes his church. And husbands, we are to do the same thing for our wives. So our responsibility to love them is spiritual and physical. You know, many times we'll go to one side or the other. You know, oh, I'm, I'm doing devotions with my wife. I'm speaking the word of God to my wife. And we leave her to fend for herself. We don't care about even what she's going through emotionally. Or on the other side, hey, I go to work. I put food on the table. You know, I care for my wife. I seek to comfort her and everything else. But we aren't in our word with our wives, speaking the word of God to our wives. But we see here that husbands, we are to seek the spiritual and physical well-being of our wives. And notice it says, just as the Lord does the church. Again, kathos. It's not just in a similar fashion. It's you look at Jesus Christ, you do it exactly like that. So then here, we get to an interesting portion. He's addressed the wives, how they are to be the church. The husbands, as they are to be Christ. And now we see this mysterious union between the two. In verse 30, says, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. When we, by faith in Jesus Christ, when we, as Jesus says, we deny ourselves, we take up our crosses, we follow him, we hate our life in this world that we may keep it for eternal life, we lose our life for the sake of Christ that we may keep it, when by faith, we cast ourselves on Jesus Christ. There is this mysterious union that takes place. That we become members of his body. And in the same way, verse 31, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So in the same way, when by faith we are united with Christ, we become one with Him. In the same way, when we get married, we become one flesh, one body with our wives. A couple of things about this union. You see, verse 31, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. When we are married, it takes priority. 
and it governs all previous relationships. This isn't speaking of just the relationship with the father, with the mother. But this is using the father and the mother because they are the peak, they are the pinnacle of all relationships before marriage. So it is saying, when you become married, now all of your previous relationships are governed and governed and superseded by your relationship with your spouse. Okay, it's no longer mom, it's no longer dad that has the, um, all of the say. Now, you know, wives, you know, we leave, and you'll see this in scripture, they leave from under the authority of the father, they come under the authority of the husband. And the, your husband, sisters, your husband should be the relationship that governs your other relationships. And as one who should arrange themselves under the husband for obedience, that must be considered with every other relationship in your lives. And husbands, same thing to us as well. The prime relationship in your life is now the one with your wife. Yes, we are to honor our mother and father. Yes, we, of course, we can, we still carry on our relationships. We still love our mother, love our father, love our brothers, our, our friends that come from before we were married. We still love all of them, but now it's governed by a whole new relationship and that's our wife the one that we have been given an authority to seek the sanctification the cleansing to nourish to cherish them we should hand over our rights yeah we 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 could go hang out with them we could do this we could do that but we should hand them over in service to our wives so the man shall leave his mother and father and then and be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. So how do the two become one flesh in marriage? Well, this is made by sexual intimacy and in marriage. When the two come together, they become one body. Now, I just, um, of course, knowing we have a mixed audience, we won't go deep into it, but just a brief overview of what Scripture says about this, this union between the husband and the wife. In Genesis one twenty eight, right after he has said that he has made male and female in his own image, it says, then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. So the first thing we have to consider when we're viewing this is that this is the first blessing pronounced upon mankind from God. You know, often in the church, 
and rightly so many times, we get, you know, kind of a negative view. You know, it, it's kind of taboo. You know, we kind of don't speak about it. You know, but it's actually a blessing from God. So that's the first thing. And as a blessing from God, the second thing, there are many things, but the second thing I want to point out in Scripture and Proverbs, it says this blessing is for our rejoicing and our satisfaction. Because the Lord, He does re- uh he does delight in the rejoicing and satisfaction of his people. In the book of Proverbs chapter 5, it says, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Let her breast satisfy you at all times. Always be enraptured with the love. So it is for our rejoicing, our satisfaction. And in Malachi, we learn that it's because God desires godly offspring. No, in Malachi chapter 2, verse 10, I believe it is. He says, he has made the two one. And why? Because he desires godly offspring. You know, as I was meditating this morning, this hit me. I've, I've never thought about this before. But Jesus Christ gives the great commission to go and preach the gospel to every creature. But you can't fulfill the great commission if we aren't being fruitful and multiplying. See, God requires godly offspring. So as we bring a child into this world, our job isn't finished. No, we bring a child into this world. And parents, I'd like to encourage you right now that your biggest mission field is right there in your own home. You know, we often, like Jeff was mentioning earlier about going out and preaching, and we look at that as glorious. People can see us, wow, look at him preaching the gospel. He must be bold. Look at all these people. I mean, people hate it. People love it. He does it. He's unwavering. We say, wow, look at him. But no. What about in your own home. What are you doing in your own home? God desires godly offspring. So as we bring children into this world, we should seek what God desires, which is their salvation. As we come to the New Testament, Paul deals with this pretty much in, uh, in pretty a lot of detail in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And he tells us another thing that Sexual intimacy in marriage, it's actually a provision against sexual immorality. As in uh, chapter 7, verse 2, he tells us that it's good for a man not to touch a woman, but because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, let each woman have her own husband. He goes forward and says, if you abstain for a time, come back together so that you are not tempted by Satan. And speaking to those who are not married, he says, it's better to marry than to burn. So it's a provision, a guard against sexual immorality. And he follows that by saying that it is actually a duty and an obligation to one another. And he says, let the wife 
let the husband fulfill his duty to the wife and likewise the wife to her husband. And um, the word duty there is a duty that um, describes a debt that is owed. This is something that is owed to one another in marriage. But then he follows that by saying this, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Likewise, the wife doesn't have authority over her own body, but the husband does. He says, do not deprive one another except by consent. So he tells us, yes, it's a duty, it's an obligation. But one partner can't say, well, you owe me. No, it's a consensual. It's between both spouses. Husbands, we don't have authority over our own bodies to use them how we want to. Same thing with you wives. It's to be consensual. A consensus between both of us. You know, then Paul follows up that, by, as I briefly mentioned, says do not deprive one another. Except for by consent for a time that you may give yourself to prayer and fasting and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So Paul tells us, first of all, it's the, a guard against sexual immorality. Second of all, it's a duty to one another. But third, it must be consensual. And fourth, it is not to be withheld. And one final principle in Hebrews, we learn that it is honorable. In Hebrews 13, 4, he says that marriage is to be honorable among all. And how? He says the, the bed is undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Okay, any sexual activity before marriage is condemned. Outside of your marriage is condemned. But in marriage, it is honorable. And this is the one flesh union between the husband and the wife. In verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, a mystery in Scripture, something that was hidden in the Old Testament, it's there, but it's hidden, and it's revealed in the New Testament, and the mystery we see here. In the Old Testament, as he quotes Genesis chapter 1, and he says, the man shall leave his father and mother be joined to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. What's the mystery? That that isn't just about the man, the woman. The mystery is that that points to Christ. The union with Christ. So even in that part of our relationship, we are to conduct ourselves in light of Christ and his union with us. Then verse 33, he kind of wraps it all up. He says, Nevertheless, let each one of you, husbands of course, in particular, so love his own wife as himself. And let the wife see that she, and I'm going to change the word, fears her husband. So we see the duties 
summed up one word for the husband's love one word for the wives fear now you're like well I see respect in my Bible well almost every modern translation uses the word respect you you have to go back to the older literal translations to see the word fear but why does he say fear why why am I even mentioning that I mean doesn't fear include respect of course it includes that but you you miss something very vital see if even if you go back to verse 21 it says submitting to one another in the fear of Christ so wives as you conduct yourselves in life your husbands it says that you should fear your husband you're like wait fear my husband what does that mean well back in the book of Genesis and um, Moses spoke about the um, hell that was coming it's going to kill everything outside and it says of the Egyptians it says those who feared the word of the Lord brought everything inside but you're like wait but Moses said that God didn't say anything to them but no they knew that yes it was Moses but they were like Moses is he's just a man no it's the word of the Lord see the Lord appointed Moses so fearing the words that come from Moses is not fearing him it's fearing the Lord and in the same way wives your husband has been put in this position by the Lord so when you walk in fear of your husband it's not fear because of him I'm nothing I have been appointed by one higher than me so when you walk in fear you're fearing the Lord see that changes everything in how you conduct yourself because if you look to your husband sisters if you look to your husband you're gonna find very very little motivation to obey him to have any kind of fear any kind of respect reverence you'll find very little but when you look to the one who appointed him it changes everything let me give you an example if one of my kids were outside and they're doing something that they know I do not permit and I send another one of my kids out there to tell them to stop if they don't they're getting in trouble they're getting a spanking whatever that may be and the, the child that is doing what is wrong should he fear what his brother or sister is saying because of them no because of me and in the same way wives you conduct yourself in light of the Lord and that will change everything because your husband is inconsistent if you're anything like me you're gonna fail probably six seven times as much as you succeed but wives walk in the fear of Christ because it's Christ it's God that is at stake with that being said turn to Titus Titus chapter 2 
Paul is more explicit here about how God is at stake when it comes to the conduct of the wise. Titus 2. Now, from verse 1, he starts speaking to the older men, comes to the older women. women. Then in verse 4, speaking of the responsibility of the older women, and I like to say, you older women in here, this is your duty to the younger women. Verse 4 it says that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet. This word discreet means quiet, to have a gentle and quiet spirit, which Lord willing next time we'll look more at in First Peter. A gentle and quiet spirit. You know, uh, in the book of Proverbs, it says it's better to live in a desert or in a corner of a house than with a contentious woman or a nagging woman. But sisters, my beloved precious sisters, you want to have a gentle, a quiet spirit. And it says to be chaste or pure, to have a pure conduct. Yes, to Christ and to your husband. Homemakers. Now, this does not say you can't work outside the home. It's not what this is saying at all. But this is saying that the woman, she has a responsibility in the home, and her work outside of the home should not interfere with that. If you can do both, that's pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. If you go outside the home and you neglect your duties as a wife in the home, that is displeasing. But I know, sisters, you desire to be pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. And of course, that works itself out many ways, but that's between you and your husband. It says they are to be good. And here it is, obedient to their own husband. So now we see it even more explicitly. Obedient to their own husbands. So why should the women, these wives, these younger wives, why should the older wives teach them to be discreet? To have a gentle and quiet spirit, to be chaste or pure, to be homemakers, to be good, to be obedient to their own husbands. Here's the reason. That the word of God may not be blasphemed. In other words, there's some at stake that is higher than any of us. That's the reputation of God. Sisters, as a Christian, you're to represent God. His name is tied to everything you do. And when you don't conduct yourself in this way, as we said, when you don't arrange yourself in a way of obedience under your husband, when you aren't discreet, chaste, homemaker, good, when these things aren't the case, it's the reputation of God that is at stake. So my beloved sisters, I just encourage you I know it may be hard, but look beyond your husband. 
Look beyond your husband to God, to Christ. For I know, I'm confident in the Lord, that you desire to be pleasing to him. You desire to uphold his name. You desire to glorify him. So, back to Ephesians. And we'll end here. So, we've had the duties laid out. The husband, what they are to do. The wives, the union between the two. The summation of it all, love and fear. But now the question is, okay, that's good to know. How do I do it? I tried, and I failed. And every time I try, I fail even more. How can I do this? It's the reason that I started our reading back in verse 18. So go back to verse 18. It says, Do not be drunk with wine, and which is dissipation or wastefulness, but be filled with the Spirit. Husbands, wives, how do we do this? Do we just muster up the strength within ourselves? No. Yes, this is impossible, but what is impossible with men is possible with God. It says, be filled with the Spirit. This is a present active continually. If you want to continually conduct yourself, in this way, you must continually be filled with the Spirit. So here we see it's at in contrast with being drunk. Just as when you are drunk, there's something that takes over you, as it were. It influences everything, the way you think, the way you talk, the things you do. Absolutely everything is influenced by it. In the same way, we're to be influenced by the Spirit. You're like, okay, so how do I do that? Well, I, I just want to go back to the church of Ephesus. They've received this letter from Paul. They have had this read to them. They're like, okay, Paul, you said be filled with the Spirit. Okay, can you help me out? Well, actually, there is somewhere in this very letter that will help us out. Go back to chapter 3. At the end of chapter 3, starting in verse 14, Paul begins to pray for them. Verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Here it is, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge 
and listen, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So how are you strengthened by the Spirit? How are you filled with all the fullness of God? How are you filled with the Spirit? It's the love of Christ. You see in verse 18 again. May be able to comprehend with all the saints the width, length, depth, and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. So what is this love of Christ? Well, like I said, we're back in Ephesus. We don't have the rest of the New Testament. We just have the book of Ephesians. Where do we go? Well, actually, Paul's been opening up the love of Christ this entire letter from chapter 1. When he begins, and says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And he starts opening it up. What is this love of Christ that he is blessing God for? It says, first, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we might be holy and blameless before him. What is the love of Christ? That he chose us before the foundation of the world. I mean, he had no reason to do that. Why does he choose us? Is there anything better in us? In the book of Romans, it says, For the children, before they were born, nor having done anything good or evil, in order that the purpose of God according to election might stand, it was said to her, The older shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. Why did God choose Jacob? Why not Esau? They were brothers. Neither one of them did anything good or bad. Why? I mean, both of them deserve to be hated. It should have said, Jacob, I hated, and also Esau. Why did he choose Jacob? It's because he chose to set his love upon him. And brothers, sisters, he has done the same with us. This is the love of Christ. He continues, he says, in love, he's predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. According to his good pleasure, to the praise of the glory of his grace, he made us accepted and the beloved. I mean, so he chose us. But he has adopted us into his family. He has made us accepted in the beloved. There is nothing in us acceptable. You may have heard, oh, you need to accept Jesus in your heart. No, no, you don't need to accept Jesus in your heart. You need to be accepted. I need to be accepted. And we are accepted through Christ. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. This is the love of Christ. He says in him, we have redemption by his blood, the forgiveness of sins. According to the riches of his grace, he made a bound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. We have been redeemed. We have been purchased from under the wrath of the almighty God. Which each and every one of us deserve to be poured out on us for all eternity. But Jesus Christ, because of his love, he set on us because it was his will. And he redeemed us. He purchased us from under the wrath of God. This is the love 
of Christ. A little later, he says, In him we have received an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who worked all things according to the counsel of his will. We have an inheritance in Christ, which Peter says, an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away, reserved in heaven for us. What do we do to deserve that? What do we do? You know, we receive in it, if we were to receive an inheritance in this world, say it was a million dollars just given to us for no reason, we'll be like, why? What, what did I do? That doesn't even begin to compare with the inheritance that awaits us. This is the love of Christ. It says we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. This is the love of Christ. You are mine and I am sealing you. And I guarantee that you will get to heaven. You will receive your inheritance. This is the love of Christ. In chapter 2, he says when you were dead and your trespasses and sins, walking according to the course of this world, walking according to the prince of the power of the air who is Satan, the spirit who now works and the sons of disobedience, which we all once conducted ourselves. We were all children of wrath, just like them. But says God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which with he loved us. Though we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive with Christ. By grace we have been saved. He raised us up with him. Set us in heavenly places with Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show us the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This is the love of Christ. In chapter 3, he says we have bold access, confidence through faith in him. Okay, he tells us we were once without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, without hope, without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, we who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He tells us we are no longer aliens, no longer strangers, fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God. This is the love of Christ. So wives, husbands, if we want to conduct ourselves according to scripture, wives, if you want to be that obedient wife, with a gentle, with a quiet spirit, that pure wife who is a homemaker good, obedient to her husband, saturate yourself with the love of Christ. Husbands, if we want to love our wives as Christ loved the church, if we want to pursue her sanctification, her cleansing, nourishing and cherishing her just as Christ has done, Saturate yourself with the love of Christ. And that is when you are filled with the Spirit. And that is when, as Paul prays, we are strengthened with mind the inner man. And we are able to come to the Scriptures and by the Spirit submit and obey the scriptures. And I pray that that would be the truth in every marriage. Those 
who are looking forward to marriage. But in everyone in this place, we'll be filled with the Spirit. And we will please God in our marriages. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray, Father, I pray that you would breathe upon this message. I pray that you would breathe into the hearts of each and every husband and wife and future husband and wife in this room. Father, I think of Ezekiel. Even after he spoke to the bones and they rose up, he said, but they have no breath. And called upon you to breathe into them. We have been raised up. But I pray that you breathe into us. And fill us with your spirit. As we contemplate, as we meditate upon your love. And as Paul said, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom every name is named. Father, I pray that according to the riches of your glory, you might grant us to be strengthened with might in the inner man by your Spirit. Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith, that we might be rooted and grounded in love, And we might be given minds to comprehend, yes, all of the saints in this room. To comprehend, to grasp what is the width and length and depth and height. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. And be filled with all the fullness of God. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for coming out.